providing inspiration and community for women in business of Middle Tennessee. This is Powered by Her with Tiffany Thanks for joining us today. We have Teresa Kane from Openly today, a startup, not small, but um, about to be a, a major company, right? That's Everybody's right. going to hear you all over the place. That's right. Um, so you are the Senior Director of Finance. Yes. So thanks for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Here on Powered by Her. Um, so I wanted to talk to you about women in leadership. Um, I think it is not something that is maybe talked about as often as it should of the struggles that it takes for women to kind of be in leadership and kind of <laughs> the put the the um, guilt we put on ourselves, mm-hmm. the like pressure we put on ourselves, the pressure that we feel is maybe maybe there, maybe not there. Um, so can you take us through a little bit of your like journey of how long have you been in leadership? What did you start off with in your career? So yeah, so. I have a um, accounting degree from Michigan Tech University, and so I started out actually in the insurance industry. I started at Century Insurance, um, and I guess I didn't really think of women in leadership as something that was even rare or different at first, because the first person that hired me out of college, her name was Lori, and she had risen up at Century, you know, early on, like 80s, 90s, and, you know, was just kind of unapologetically the boss, you know, and she was really good. I think I still credit her with kind of starting me out on the right path of how to, you know, act within a company, things to, you know, hold yourself to a higher standard. I really did like her as a boss. Then when I changed roles at the company, I reported to somebody named Lynn and what I loved about Lynn was she was, um, she had three teenage daughters when I worked for her and I actually had some health issues while I was working for her. Um, and so not, she was like Lori in the respect that she knew her stuff and she, you know, was ready to succeed, ready to have a good team. But when I was having health issues, one thing I really, I think the thing I actually respect about her most is that, you know, she still obviously expected me to do work and and get things done, but she also treated me, I could tell the way she would want somebody to treat her daughters in that situation. And so what I really learned from her is that you can be a really good leader, but you can also have empathy. And I think that that was something that, you know, has definitely stuck with me. Then when I switched leaders again in the organization in a new role, I reported to somebody named Alicia and she was a single mom and was a vice president and you know she showed that you could have that life you know where you're heck yeah you know Listen, you, vice president here <laughs> single mom i get it right you can you know you can have your career and you can be a mom and you can do all those things um and you know i think she had a really good support system around her though too you know do so, you think you always wanted to be in leadership I don't think I knew until one of those people, um, Lori actually, nominated me for a program called Management Bound. So one thing I really liked about Sentry, and I think other... sounds like Homeward Bound. Yes, it is. There were puppies, actually. (laughs) Um, So that's why I liked it. Yeah. Um, 
So management bound was something that I think other companies really have started doing, you know, in, in recent years as well, or some form of it. But basically it was saying that a lot of people have been thrown into leadership in their careers, either because somebody retired, somebody quit, whatever. And then so they were just like, all right, well, you're next in line, you know, go do it. And not only did they not necessarily want to be a manager, they also didn't know what they were doing. Mm-hmm. So this program created cohorts so that you know you would get trained like how do you deal with HR situations what are your strengths what are your blind spots things like that so that and then you kind of also figured out maybe I don't want to be in management which is better to figure out before you get there you know which so I've had this conversation with people a bit um that I I feel like that there's like a societal push that everyone should want to be a leader right and and almost like if you're not a leader uh, that you're lesser than. Right. Or your career wasn't a success. Right. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on that? Like, it, do you agree with that, the, the societal pressure on that? Or do you think that it's okay? I, I mean, I think that in order to be a leader, you have to have people that are going to be part of your team and, and go along with where you're leading them. Mm-hmm. And so I think everybody has a role and they're all important and it's all part of it. 100%. I completely agree with you. I think that you know, I think society has put pressure on, you know, everything starting from young kids to say, not, are you going to go to college? Where are you going to go to college? And what do you want to be when you grow up? So it's like forced on you so young to say, you're going to go and you're going to get some powerful degree and then you're going to rise up in the ranks and, you know, you're not everybody can be the president of the company. There's one president of every company. There are a handful of VPs, you know, like there are fewer and fewer positions as you go. And not everybody either wants or should be at those levels like that, you know, when I look at my husband, he is a senior analyst in the finance department at the company he works for, and he's perfectly happy there, you know, like he has zero desire to be in management because he's like, I don't want the stress. I don't like dealing with people issues. I want to be able to do my work, do it well, and then go home at night and not think about it, you know? So what made you... Okay, so you went through this program, Mm -hmm. um, and you determined that you liked the leadership? I did. I did. And I actually didn't lead anybody. I mean, I led a few interns. So I think a good thing they start you with is like, (laughs) yeah, take some people. It'll be here for eight weeks. You can't mess anything up too bad. Um, (laughs) So I started leading interns. um, And then when I I actually moved, um, and before remote work, I had to leave. I probably would still be at Century had I not had to move geographically and then I went to another company and then that's where I started getting more direct reports and then having like multiple levels of people under me um and I did I really liked it like I I really like talking about career development like I really like (laughs) hiring somebody as an intern bringing them into like full-time roles and promoting them and like I really feel like that's something that you know when Lori hired me you know, I was coming right out of college. I got multiple promotions under her. And, you know, one of the best compliments she gave me was, I never worry about the work you're doing. Like I, you know, of the things that keep me up at night, it's not that I was doing internal control work at the time. She's like, I never worry about that because I know you got it. Mm -hmm. And I love having that level of trust with somebody. And I think building that up with somebody that reports to you, where you could get to the point where you're like, I feel like I brought you in as a totally green, you know, junior level person. And now we're to the point where like, 
you are flourishing, you, I don't, I just need to check in with you and you know when to come to me. Well, and I think that as a leader, that's probably the most fulfilling part of it is that influence that you have on others and you can really impact their careers or their mm-hmm. path and that, and their careers can impact their personal life. And, yep. and so I think that that's what, um, is really um, fulfilling about that that leadership position. What do you think? So you said that um, one of your previous bosses had a um, had a lot of empathy. Mm-hmm. What other qualities do you think that maybe you have um, or you learn through your program mm-hmm. um, that really make a great leader? I mean, the things that I value are empathy, authenticity. You know, I don't, one leader who was female that I had at one point in time that I did not like reporting to, we, the two of us had, I mean, at least we could be brutally honest with each other. She had also gone through the same program that I had gone through. So I was kind of like her guinea pig. And now like, you know, now I'm going to lead somebody. And (laughs) uh, one of the things I told her is I said, you were in this position for a reason. You know, you know your stuff. You are, you know, very smart. You're a good communicator. But going through those, like, HR-driven classes, she kind of became, like, not genuine anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, she had this checklist of things. Like, if this happens in a situation, I say this. You know, it was like she had this flow chart in her head of how to lead people. And people are people. Like, you have to handle them differently depending on who they are. People like to be led in different ways. Different things motivate them. Um, And so I just didn't feel like she was very genuine. So I really feel like authenticity as a leader. So obviously, you know, there's sometimes there's things you can't share or whatever. But at least you can be open enough to even, like, let people know what you can tell them. Or even, you know, if you can tell them, you know, we're kind of working through some you know, decisions that need to be made on whatever subject, just to let them know, like, that you are keeping them in the loop as much as possible. You are, you want them to participate in company level decisions to the point that they can. And I, I think, and I don't know if that, I mean, I'm, I'm just female, so I don't know You're how. Just female. Just yes. female. So I don't know sometimes how it, you know, I assume things are maybe based more on females, but um, it seems like females have to, feel the pressure to try harder to not be failable mm-hmm. or to be fail proof and right. so then it's like that and I'm somebody who I'll show all my securities out there like because I think that that makes me relatable I think that people understand like oh I, I get that I feel that way too but I think a lot of times females um, especially in leadership positions don't want to it makes them feel weak yeah and so um, I think that that's a huge part of leadership is making sure that you are relatable and that mm-hmm. you know everybody's human and and right. it's not a weakness it's a strength agreed and I found one thing that at least that I feel like I think people have respected me for that report to me is that if I mess something up and I'm you know called out for it in any way shape or form that I tell them you know okay here's what I did that didn't turn out well mm-hmm here's what I think we could do to prevent it from happening again. And here's why I need you to help me hold me accountable too. you know? So like to say that, yes, this goes all the way through the team, but I'm owning it. And I'm telling you that I think that here's how, you know, something should have gone and now let's figure it out. But also to say that I'm never going to push blame down to say, this is the person that did this wrong, or this is the person that did that wrong. Because in the end, it's all of us. It's my name on it as it goes, you know, up the ladder or whatever at the company. 
Um, and then just say, all right, like, let's figure this out together. Like, here are my ideas on how we can do it. But if you have better ideas, let me know. Because, you know, you guys are the ones doing a lot of the work. I can't, you know, I'm obviously not doing everything. So I think that being open about the fact that I do fail, that I do make wrong decisions, I think is relatable. And that it lets people feel a little more open to, you know, having instances where they're like, okay, I screwed this up. Like, let's talk about it rather let's than figure it out together. Right. Yeah. Rather than try to sweep it under the rug, hide it, freak out. Well, you know? how do you deal with, so, you know, in, in COVID time, there were a lot of tough decisions. Um, mm-hmm. One of your side gigs is that you're a school board member. Right. And so you had to deal with kind of some decisions there of like, gosh the pressure of like no one knows the right decision to make right and so when you make a decision and it turns out maybe it's not the best how do you personally like kind of let yourself not not beat yourself up over it right because we're really great women are really really great about right and I do you know and specifically talking about COVID which is kind of an easy one to talk about because that's where like you said nobody had the answers like when people have questioned me on it and I question myself on some decisions we make, I I say, here's the information we had at the time and here's why we made the decisions. Were they all right? No, but I don't think anybody did anything perfectly at that point in time. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing at work where I'll say, okay, here's the data set I had at that point in time, whether it's actual data or just, you know, Facts. anecdotal yeah. knowledge, whatever. Mm-hmm. But here's what I thought was going on. Here's the way I presented this. And, you know... I had rationale behind it. I'm not just throwing stuff together and hoping for the best, you know, and I'm not, and I try to, especially in a financial role, take emotion out of the decisions I make. And I kind of had to do that with COVID too, because I was like, people were so emotional about Mm -hmm. things, good, bad, or otherwise. And to say, you know, I'm here to try to make good decisions for the students based on this set of information. And I'm not going to tell you in six months that everything went right. And it probably didn't, but I mean, we, you know, we got our students back into school as quickly as we could. We really, we didn't have any higher transmission rates than anybody else. So that's also what I tell people is, you know, we probably didn't make all the right decisions, you know, but nobody else did either. And we, like, if you look at the outcome, we did fine as compared to our peers. Same thing in in work, you know? Do you think that it's easier for you to take the emotion out because, um... You're a numbers person. I mean, that's I, I, I my previous life, I, I like to say, mm-hmm. um, I was a numbers person. And so I think that there's a little bit more like logic. Right. Not that people are, are illogical if they're right. emotional, but it's a little easier to take that out of there, you know? Yes, I think so. I mean, I think that, you know, the thing that you always hear in business now is making data driven decisions, you know, like. And sometimes we make decisions in any company that is contrary to data, but like we have to be able to back up why we're doing it. Like, so I've gone into situations with like workforce planning at a prior company where I said, okay, mathematically, if we do this, we should be able to, you know, reduce, you know, a headcount need by X amount of people. And they'll say, well, that's wrong. I'm like, okay, but I'm just doing math. Like, so you tell me why it's wrong. Like, maybe it is wrong. There's only right answers in math. I know the math is right, (laughs) but if there's something situationally going on that this is not, just tell me why. And we need to document that before we make the decision. But I think that even if you go against what the data or the math says, it's fine as long as you say, here's the reasons why, and that we recognize that here is what the math tells us. 
So I do think that that is probably why, you know, it's, I easier, make dis- it's easier for me in that respect is I'm like, you know, maybe I'm not making a decision that on paper looks the best, but I have rationale as to why. Yeah. So looking back at <clears throat> um, a few years, maybe more than 30 years of your life, um, <laughs> what do you think you've always kind of been put yourself in leadership positions? Were you like on the student council in high school? Were you like... no. I was, I was very, as a little kid, I was very, very shy. Yeah. Um, and I just kind of wanted to blend in. I didn't want to, like, participate in any extracurricular activities. <laughs> um, and then once I got to high school, I mean, I was still a little, like, you know, blending in was kind of my, uh, <laughs> my goal, I think, in life. Um, it wasn't until I got to college, actually, and going to Michigan Tech, as I said before, which there are not as many females there, um, I decided that I wanted to, you know, find some female friends. And so I had a friend down the hall at the dorms who was like, I'm in a sorority, come with me. Just, I actually think she brought me to get out of some snow statue hours, which if you are from the UP, you understand what that means. Um but I ended up really liking it. I ended up, you know, learning and I, I got leadership roles in the organization and I got a lot of confidence and be able to just get up in front of a group of people, big or small, and speak and not be worried about what I was saying, you know? And I think that that is honestly where I learned some of my leadership skills was being in that sorority. It's interesting. So I was in a sorority as well. Really? And, um it really, like, I, I'm on some boards or I'm on a planning commission, and now that I know Robert's Rules of Order, <laughs> like, it's not as weird to say, second that motion right, and stuff exactly. like that, you know? I Let's think, table this. I, yeah, I think when sometimes when you're in a sorority in college, you forget that you're, like, learning life skills. You are. You, and leadership skills, and you're not just, like, there to have a good time. Right. You know? Well, and we talked about, you know, there's, like, the stages of you know, business, you know, and team formation. It's the forming, norming, storming, performing. You know, you get the team together, then you kind of all fall into your roles. Then inevitably there's issues, there's, you know, arguments, whatever, and then some sort of conflict. And then you start to perform as a team. Like that's a successful team progression. And that's, I mean, that was our sorority every year. We would, you know, we would form, we would get new people in. We would kind of figure out like, who are your social butterflies? Who are your, you know, the ones that are going to clean the kitchen. And then, you know, there's obviously arguments. You shove a bunch of, you know, young females in a house. There's probably going to be some conflicts at some point. But then you start to, you know, you get yourself done, you normalize, you perform, you, you know, get your grades together, you recruit other members. I mean, and and I think that that is like a a teamwork, a team building skill that is something that, you know, you get through that, that I think people kind of take for granted. Well, I think that that also is, um, at least for me, it kind of threw me into the world of working with a bunch of females. Mm -hmm. And like you said, these are, you know, 18 to 25 year old females and they're, um, you know, I mean, we don't even know ourselves at that age. No, um, exactly. So it was a lot. I mean, I don't know that I've ever had as much storming as I did <laughs> um, by living in a sorority house. Hopefully I never have that kind of stuff in my workplace. But it kind of like, okay, here's how bad it can be. So right. it makes me more grateful for, um, you know, kind of leading a women's community now of like, okay, right. here are some here are some ways that that there could be pitfalls and really kind of keeping a collaborative nature in, in 
the forefront of my mind uh, and and keeping that empathy I yes. think you know and learning how to work with people that are different than you you know like it, that is an extreme example because you're thrown in you live with these people possibly in the same room share a bathroom that is more of an extreme situation mm-hmm. but in the workplace you're going to work with people that you're like I would rather not be around you sometimes yeah but I need to figure out how to collaborate I need to figure out like we have to find common ground how to figure out how to communicate with each other and you know so it is kind of a like you said it's like a um, trial by fire <laughs> methodology of learning yeah. to work with different people. So you've been in your current position for about a year and a half now? Correct. Um, and so what do you think makes you, and I know that this is um, hard for a lot of women and especially probably you, what makes you, <laughs> you think that you're good at the position you're in? Like toot your horn, girl. <laughs> Let's go. You know, I, so it's interesting because when I switched from my first company from Century to um, a, my next carrier, there were some mergers and acquisitions, so I had had like 10 names, but um, I thought I knew so much stuff about insurance. I thought I came in and I knew so much stuff. And then I got there and I was like, oh my God, I don't know anything. And the first six months were tough because I felt like I beat myself up. Like I oversold myself in this interview. I really don't know what I'm doing, but I worked really hard to learn stuff. I volunteered for projects. And I think after a couple months, I got better at reaching out for help. It was actually the first time I reported to men in my life and to go out there. And again, I wanted to like prove myself like all of leadership at the company was male and I was like the one female and then I, and I felt stupid. And yeah. so I was like, I at first didn't want to ask for any help because I didn't want to, you know, show that weakness like you talked about or show that I was inferior in any way. But I would, you know, present what I knew and say, here's the stuff I don't know. Like, can you help me with this? And I ended up getting tons of opportunities at that company that I never would have gotten at my first company because it was it was bigger than where I was working at that time. And I was able to do a lot more stuff in a small company. Um, and then I had a similar situation when I moved from that company to Openly that I thought I knew a ton. And then I get up into a startup world that is in a different, um, you know, we're in a venture capital setting in a tough time with venture capital right now because, you know, the economy is shifting there have been competitors that have not performed well. So, you know, it you go into these pitches to say, here's why we're not like the other guy. We're better than the other guy. And that's sometimes a, a tough message to sell for people who don't necessarily understand insurance. Um, so when I go in and I was like, how am I still so like knowledge deficient when I have been doing insurance for 15 years? But I do have a good leadership team that, has helped to say, you know, here's what's going on. Here's what I know. Here's what, you know, and here's, they know that I know things that they're not necessarily as, you know, well-schooled in. I think that that's like probably a secret to at least your career life is that nobody really knows what they're doing ever. <laughs> and so I, um, I, I mean, I've talked about this multiple times. I um, used to be a high school teacher. I got this job um, working at a local entrepreneur center, a regional yeah. entrepreneur center, yep. and doing marketing. And I thought, well, I know social media. I mean, it was like web design and blog writing and just a lot of stuff that I really didn't know. And I was on a call and I said, I don't know. Um, I was kind of talking to almost like a parent company. And, and I said, I don't really know much about this. And she said, we're all just, that's what marketing is. We're right. all just trying to do the best we can and see 
see what works. Right. And she's like, she literally said to me, I don't like the way you talk about yourself. Yeah. And I was like, oh, snap. Okay. Right. Like, and I really started realizing, like, we we all can keep, like, that's kind of the beauty of life. You keep learning as yes. you go. Life is a, life's a dance. You learn as you go, right? <laughs> Good old Garth Brooks. So, um... Well, and I think my boss said it well, like a few months into my job, you know, he's like, so how's it going? You know, we're a fully remote company. So, you know, we're on Zoom all the time. He's like, I just want to know how it's going. How do you, you know, how are you feeling? Um, And I was like, Adriel, I sometimes feel like I don't know what I'm doing. Like, And he said, and he kind of laughed and he said, honestly, if you don't have imposter syndrome every once in a while here, you're probably not doing it right. Because he's like, we all do. We all are talking to people that are extremely smart. They built this company from, you know, two um, founders all the way up. Now we're, you know, approaching 300 employees and continuing mm. to grow. Um, and we built this with some very knowledgeable people that, you know, they are smarter than you in some respects, you know, yeah. but they're building it so that these skill sets are able to work together to be able to beat out competitors and really show where we're going. Um, so, you know, he is like very open about saying, you know, imposter syndrome is a real thing, but it's, you know, don't let it get in your head. Yeah. Um, and then I have a professor right now, Melissa, who is teaching, um, she's a, a philosophy professor, but she's te- teaching um, corporate social responsibility. I'm in my executive MBA program right now. And she um, has said when I, you know, I actually wrote an email, you know, recently. I'm like, can you look at this for me, actually? This is, you know, for work. And she said, like, what that other person said is, like, don't send that. Like, you are like totally selling yourself short you're groveling you're whatever she's like you know you can own up to things you can you know but and move forward from them without saying like I'm trash (laughs) you know and like starting she's like she said not to be too you know ultra feminist but she's like no man would write this email I I have a plug-in on my email and I tell people this all the time it's called just not sorry and when I say I'm sorry or I just want it this way, it underlines the word sorry, it underlines the word just as if it's spelled wrong. So you go back and you're like, do I really need to say sorry in this, wow, in this that's instance? Cool. And so, called? yeah, just not sorry. <laughs> just so not sorry. everybody look it up. I need to well, find the cool. founder of, of just who created that app and, yeah. uh, or the plugin. Get and, some royalties. You yeah, know. <laughs> I need to definitely get a deal with them so that's cool. um so one one thing before we wrap up here i want to touch on like how do you think as a female in leadership um you know females can get that bad rap of like well they're just a, a b and so how do you kind of sway away from that and, and make sure that you're still a, a leader and you're respected and you're you know your troops are kind of pulling together as a team um, without having that like negative, unapproachable, you know. Well, and, you know, being my name is Teresa, um, a lot of times people have jokingly said Mother Teresa, you know, because I am kind of the mother hen sometimes. And I will, I think I've proven multiple times that if somebody says something about one of my employees that's unfair or calls them out or does anything that is inhibiting their progress or, you know, personally affecting them like I will go to battle for them like I will get in there and I will you know lay it all out on the table with whoever I need to at whatever level to make sure that things go well and I'm fine with that mother Teresa you know whereas you know I think a lot of people especially in the past you know women in leadership in the past would probably have 
hated that because it would show that they're too human and they're not like, you know, the same type of a leader as a, as a man can be. And I'm fine with that because they, I think my people still know like that, you know, we have to perform, we have to be able to show our worth, add value to the company, you know, and do what we're here to do, what we were hired to do, but that I am still a human. And if you're having an issue, you know, I had one male direct report come to me and I have so much respect for him because we were going through a very stressful time with not enough employees. And he said, Teresa, I'm not okay. He said, I need a couple days. And I was like, that made me take a step back. And I was like, okay, what do we actually have to get done right now? Like there are things that we can cut from the plate. Like we don't have to be 150% every day and expecting that of people is, is ridiculous. So I went back to our leadership and said, something's got to go here because we're burning our people out. And I have the most respect for him to recognize that emotion, to be able to communicate that and not feel that he was any less of a strong employee. And I think it helped me be, you know, more cognizant of, you know, running people into the ground is not the way to perform, you know. And so having that, you know, again, Mother Teresa kind of like, are you okay? Like, are you, are you dealing with life right now? Okay. Cause there's so much going on in personal lives too, that these are humans you're working with and you have to remember that. Yeah. Um, how can people find you if they wanted to find you to connect with you more? So are you, you're on LinkedIn? I am on LinkedIn, Teresa Kane, and I work at Openly. With no H. No H. No T-R-E-S-A. Um, Kane, K-A-N-E, and you work at Openly. And so where do you see, what do you see happening in the next five years for you? Do you have room to grow in the company? Do you see yourself kind of moving or what? Yeah, I think, I mean, the company has a lot of runway. You know, we are really, we have a lot of really strong momentum continuing to add people because we keep growing and we need, you know, people to handle um, the additional workload as a, as a company grows and we're starting to scale. So I think that there's a lot of runway for, honestly, every person at that company right now because yeah. we are in so early that, you know, there's you can just grow and succeed with the company. I mean, in the next five years, I really don't know what that's going to bring. Um, you know, my husband will be approaching retirement at that point, so we'll probably be thinking about, you know, what, you know, what does stability look like? What does, like, what risks do we still want to take in our careers at that point in time? Um, But I think that, you know, I just try to keep an open mind. Like, I don't have a set five-year plan. Like, I want to be a VP by, you know, June of 25, and I want to be a whatever by June of 27. Yeah. Like, I just want to make sure that I can feel like I add value every day, that I never am dreading going to work the next day, and that I continue to really like the teams that I work with. So as long as those things are happening, I think I'll feel like my career is still successful. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me. I really appreciate it. And go find Teresa on LinkedIn and um, go follow Openly. I'm really excited to see what this company, it sounds like a very exciting company and exciting And we time. write homeowners insurance in Tennessee and I know you live in Tennessee. So there you go. So powered by her girls, go find some uh, Openly insurance in, uh, for, for our state. So thank you so much and we'll chat later. All right. Thanks. Bye.